Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. To have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Aloha and welcome to the believer's journey. And I want to thank you for joining us today. Um, today we're going to have a kind of impromptu the Bible questions on the fly number 14. Because I guess Thanksgiving people don't want to come <laughs> to the studio. So this is kind of interesting. However, we have had so many questions come in, it's just been pretty amazing. So uh, my guest today is uh, my lovely wife, Susan. And uh, in the studio, we have my mom, Muriel, and very dear friends of ours, um, Marissa and Joey Gonzalez, our daughter, Lizzie, is in the studio. So I want to say hi to them. And uh, anyway, I want to thank everybody for who... who um, supports our ministry with, with your prayers, with your comments, with your questions, uh, with your money. If you, uh, we have some uh, sponsors, uh, Allison and Thompson Insurance, we have trade show displays, and we have Guerrero Law and Guerrero CPA. If you'd like to uh, consider uh, sponsoring or uh, donating to our Ministry, you can go to our website at uh, www.thebelieversjourney.net and you can see everything you need to see there. Anyway, so uh, like I said, we have lots of questions and um, say hello, Susan. Hi, everybody. <laughs> She's been on the program a few other times and um, she is all warmed up and ready to fire at me. Um, you'll notice that I have a button collar here my wife made me button this so you know that it's good or bad to have your wife on the program <laughs> are you ready for the i'm questions? ready okay uh the first question is from a listener in india and this person asks why did people worship on sunday god himself chose saturday and blessed it as our holy day you know, the, the whole thing about the Sabbath and Sunday is a big issue lately. Uh, I've seen it more and more and more, even on Facebook or even on my questions and stuff like that. Um, Sunday worship began in the first century, actually, and the Roman Empire worshipped in their pagan gods and so forth. And then Christians started worshiping on Sunday for two different reasons that I know of. Number one, because it was just... It was natural for them in the gen, Gentile world, who was because of the Roman Empire, they were worshiping others on Sunday. When they became Christians, Sunday was just a natural day to worship. Then you had others who were worshiping like Jews and so forth, Jewish Christians, and they were being um, persecuted. And so a lot of them would transfer over to Sunday because it was easier to hide their worship 
then be found out on a Saturday and to be dragged out of their house and stoned to death or persecuted and so forth. So that's really why it started. We do know that back in um, around 321 A.D., Constantine issued a, a, a law that everybody had to observe Sunday for Sunday worship, and nobody in the government, all the, everything was shut down <clears throat> for Sunday. And then uh, a few years after that, the church uh, deemed it uh, in their doctrine to uh, have Sunday as their day of worship as well. So it started, like I said, the first century A.D., and it just kind of built from there. When Constantine became a Christian, a believer, he started changing things in the Roman Empire. And it started with him, actually, but as official but unofficially, it was way before that. However, the Sabbath uh, and Sunday are not the same thing. The Sabbath is, it doesn't even mean Saturday. People think it means Saturday. It doesn't. It means the seventh day. So, um, what is the seventh day today? You know, I don't know. I mean, our our day begins on, begins on Monday for me. So, it's kind of interesting. But the Saturday-Sunday thing... You can get real legalistic with it, and if you become so legalistic that you have to say it has to be Saturday or has to be Sunday, either way, you're being really legalistic. And if you're going to be someone who it has to be on one of those days, if you really want to be um, biblical about it, I mean, you need to start your Sabbath or your worship on the evening before the day of sunset, and it lasts all the way till the evening of the day. Right. And the, how the Jews celebrate the Sabbath is based on the calendar they had at the time. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, the Sabbath was not, it didn't start with the, the Hebrew laws or, you know, the law of Moses. It was way, it's from the beginning. I mean, when God created, you know, the six days of creation, the seventh day he, he's rested, he deemed that as a day for us to rest. This is way before the Jewish calendar. The Hebrew calendar didn't take place probably until, I don't know, 37, 3800 B.C. And so that's when your calendar started. However, the law of Moses started after that. So, you know, and even then, Sabbath was not a day of of get together a celebration. It was a day of where the family got together and they had a meal. They, they spent the time together. Then the actual day was a day of of honoring God, telling stories. And this is probably how they had the, their scripture memorized. It was as they would spend that holy day, you know, talking about the days of old and how things happened and so forth. And it was a day of remembering. So when it says remember me, it's talking about how do things happen, the creation story? All the stories were probably given, especially on that particular day, to the families. And um, and then as the day ended up and, and finished out in the evening, it was over. Well, that answers another question someone had um, asked from Africa, basically the same question. What was it? About the Sabbath day and 
how Constantine changed it from Saturday to Sunday worship. Yeah, and he, he didn't change it. He just made it an official of what was already being practiced. Right. So I'm sure they appreciate the clarification. Another question, uh, there are a couple of questions regarding people of the Muslim faith. Uh, one is from Indonesia, and this person at, says, I live in Indonesia where it is legal to have multiple wives. Does the Bible say that it is okay to have more than one wife? And this person says they're Muslim? Because I, there's a difference of, of... I think so. In the question? No. Okay. Um, okay, so getting to that, the Bible does not say whether it is right or wrong to have multiple wives. The only place it says anything is when Paul is talking and sends a, a letter to Timothy and says, if you want to be a pastor, you need to be a man of one wife. Period. So if you, and I've had another question come to me recently, and the person said, if I have multiple wives, and now I am a believer, and I, and I want to know if I go into ministry, and it says a man of one wife, do I have to divorce my wives, other wives? <laughs> I said, no, you can't divorce your wives. I mean, if you're, if you're married to several wives, most likely you won't be called a pastorate ministry. It might be something different, you know, and you can be a Bible teacher, but pastor, no. But no, you wouldn't divorce because that violates all kinds of laws in, in Scripture. So as far as uh, what this guy's saying, no, I mean, David had multiple wives. He had 16 wives. God never said that, you know, it was wrong to David. Uh, it, uh, Jacob had four wives. Abraham had two, you know, until one left. And, and you have all these people have multiple wives. The only person that God got upset with in the Bible for having multiple wives was actually this wise guy, you know, Solomon. called Solomon. But the reason he got bothered wasn't because he had 700 wives. He got bothered because he was marrying women outside the faith. And that was the issue. Not, not the multiple wives, but having outside the faith. And then he allowed these ladies, his wives, to worship in the temple, which was a no-no. And then he started, started worshiping with them in the temple. And so God got angry with that, and that's when it, you know... Mm. Uh, it happened, but yeah, no, it, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that you have to have only one wife, or it's okay to have multiple wives. It just isn't there. Um, it does say in Genesis, you know, Adam, there's an Adam and an Eve, but again, when we go on into Scripture, God doesn't tend to, um, uh, he doesn't condone it or, or or condemn it. So that's interesting. Well, this other uh, question, uh, it says uh, how religious Muslims are, I guess, in their faith, will they make it to heaven? Uh, and this person referenced John three seventeen eighteen, 18, and says, please help a friend. Where's this coming from? Turkey. Okay. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we were talking earlier, and you mentioned that there's Turkey... Questions. I said, well, ever since the war, 
in um, with Russia and Ukraine, I've lost a lot of viewers from Russia and Ukraine, but there's a lot of viewers coming into Turkey. And I think that's interesting. Well, I think a lot of them are people from Russia. <laughs> <laughs> but this question, since uh, the faith, pre predominant faith in Turkey is um, Islam, it, this could be from... So Somebody. Jesus said in John 3.17, I believe that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world, okay? And he, and he goes on to say that uh, those who are uh, basically believe, believers are, if you don't believe, you're already dead and so forth. And if you do believe, you're, you're, you're alive kind of thing. I mean, I'm knowing totally paraphrasing that. But if you're... If you're a Muslim um, and you do not worship the God of the Bible and you do not, at this point, if you're familiar with Jesus, and I'm sure if you're watching my program, you are, if you're familiar with Jesus, then that person who is Muslim needs to start following the teachings of Jesus. Uh, if they don't know anything about the teachings of Jesus, they need to at least be following the teachings of the Bible, of, um, you know, not the Quran, but the Bible that we have, uh, whether it be Catholic, Protestant, or whatever you want to call it, um, Eastern Europe, I, I really don't know what they, they see there, but um, you have to be following the God of the Bible, and if you're, you have... If you've been, it's been revealed to your friend uh, about Jesus, they need to be following the teachings of Jesus. If they do not, then no, they will not be living with him in eternity. Okay, that's, I think, covers all their questions. Um, the next question is from Eastern Europe. Uh, this person is asking, do you believe that we need to follow the law or is grace enough? Well, the law and grace are two different things. They don't really... Grace is something God gives us, okay? He has grace for us. And, and the Old Testament has a whole lot of areas where God, God shows grace to his people, you know. And it's something that he does for us. The law is something that God gave for us to follow. So the question doesn't, um, it's not like you have one and not the other. In other well, I, words. Guess, I guess the question may be, since the person's asking, do we need to follow the law, that, you know, is the law irrelevant after you, I guess, have accepted Christ, you know, and have his grace. Maybe that's what they were Well, to and here's another problem, okay? So there are many, many, many Christians or people who look at the New Testament, they want to erase the Old Testament, or they want to toss it and think it, well, because they call it old, it's no longer relevant. But the law is very relevant. Um, you know, in, in Psalms 105, it's, it's written that um, God's law, he, God remembers his law forever, okay? And his word is, is um, I don't know, it's given like to all, for all generations. 
So the only part of the law, I mean, there's three parts of the law. I mean, you have the ceremonial law, you have the judicial law, you have uh, civil law. The only part of the law that I would say that is no longer relevant is a ceremonial law because Jesus became the sacrificial lamb. We no longer have to have, you know, come to Day of Atonement and sacrifice, you know, animals for our sin. Jesus became that once and for all. Um, however, when you talk about, you know, is it, should I forego worshiping God as my only God? No, you better. <laughs> you know, is it okay to murder somebody now because I don't have to follow the law? I mean, it's kind of a ridiculous thing, but we have to follow the law. The law still is good, and the law is something that God wrote. That being said, this is going to take a long time, the law through the years, and many of you who are in Judaism watching, if you are from Israel, understand this. The law given by God in the beginning was perfect. It was good. Okay? But through the years, the law got contaminated and perverted. I mean, when Jesus was walking on the earth, and he was healing people and doing things and telling people to pick up their beds and walk and this and that and so forth, and the Pharisees were saying, well, you're breaking the Sabbath. And he's saying, no, I'm not. You know, uh, they didn't, they had a rewritten law because the scribes were, the scribes' job was to look at a piece of law, okay, a law, and they were saying, well, let's interpret it what we think it means. Much like what our Congress does in the United States, and they look at, you know, the 10, the 10, um, Bill of, Rights. Bill of Rights, and they say, let me interpret this, and we'll write out what we think it is. And it's kind of like the same thing. So they kind of changed the idea of what the law is. And what I've learned from Jesus is there's a spirit of the law that's really important that we understand and follow. Again, we can't get legalistic about it, which if we look at Jesus' day, they were very legalistic about the law. And look at Paul afterwards the Judaizers were very legalistic. And Paul and Jesus both, it's like they argued and fought against this. And today, people are saying, well, then we need to dismiss the law totally, or we need to follow, follow the law totally, if you're not doing this exactly. And again, are we going to live in a legalistic mindset, whether you're following or not following? Either side you're on, you're being legalistic. And I don't think that's that's correct. You know, there, there are things in the law, I mean... People say you can never follow 613 laws of the Bible. Well, you know, I could follow, you know, honoring Jesus or carrying his name, and you know, that I'm a believer or not fooling around my wife. Of course, I'm going to say that right in front of you. <laughs> but, you know, no adultery or stealing or so forth. We can follow these things. It's not so hard. When you go on the 613 laws, well... You know, do I need to worry about if I got a woman pregnant and I got a, you know, there's actually a law. If you get a woman pregnant and you're not married, it says that the, the father needs to pay child support, basically. Okay, should we just not follow that? Well, no. So we've created our own laws in our own countries to follow these things. So I think the law is good. When we start rewriting those laws and putting our own interpretation to them, now what's happening is we are perverting and corrupting what God wrote in the beginning. So 
when you talk about law and grace, they're to- two totally different things. Jesus gave commandments. Mm-hmm. He gave. He said, you know, when they asked him, "What's the greatest commandment? Love one another, or love God as, you know, with all your being, love one another as the same way, you know, with all of your being." And then he said to the disciples, "I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I've loved you." Then he says to them, you know, that you, if you love me, you'll obey me. So he's talking about obedience and what's obedience following the teachings the commandments so a believer in jesus is somebody who follows the teachings if you don't follow the teachings guess what you're not a believer the word believe pistuo is all about following the teachings so i think that when we talk about the law we got to talk about new testament too when we talk about grace okay so god's Grace gives to us because, and we don't deserve the, His grace. Right, it's His unmerited favor. Right, so that God gave that in the Old Testament, he gives it in the New Testament, and it's something God gives us because He chooses to do that. So we don't follow grace. Grace is given to us. It's a gift. Right, and I think that we need to get off this high horse about grace and and we're the, of the New Testament of grace. Well, the Old Testament teaches more about grace than the New Testament. If you read your whole Bible, you'll see that. So it's just, you know, where are we going to go with all of this? We need to understand that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who said that? Oh, God did. I mean, think about these things. You know, God says, you know, I never change and I never lie. But we want to change things and think God did it because we have a New Testament now. No, God doesn't change ever. You know, he is the beginning and the end. And so when we look at this stuff, we have to put it in perspective. That's why I like the Old Testament, because it actually teaches these things. And the people only want to read the New Testament and forego the Old Testament and say, well, we're of grace and not of the law. Well, then you're missing a lot of God's teaching because he teaches grace in the Old Testament. Well, I think that covers a lot of questions. <laughs> long, long answer. <laughs> Well, there was somebody from Africa who also said, why do people say the Ten Commandments don't matter when God says those laws do matter? Just like I said, Psalms 105, you know, he remembers the covenant, you know, he remembers the covenant forever, you know, and so, um, and it's given for all generations, for the generations, you know, to come, a thousand generations. So I think, again, when we look at the law, and why is the Ten Commandments aren't important? Well, then, then you're not reading your Bible. I mean, I, I don't know how to else to say that because the Bible teaches, the New Testament teaches the commandments, you know, the Ten Commandments. And I think that when we look at those, you know what? Here, here's where the problem lies. You have a lot of people, whether it be from a denominational church organization or independent church organization or some kind of organization, you have a lot of people, even if they're independent on their own, that think that they don't need to follow the Ten Commandments because they think the Ten Commandments are a bunch of just rules and regulations and they've never studied the Ten Commandments. What the problem here is we have, everybody thinks they're a scholar. Everybody's a Bible scholar, you know. And so, well, you know, Ten Commandments, Old Covenant, Old Testament, we don't need that, it's old. We have New Testament, new, you know, new stuff. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Do you understand the Old Testament? I mean, the, old, the, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, the first four commandments, are all about our personal relationship with God. 
not our right and wrong stuff, our relationship with him. Then the last six commandments are our, about our relationship and how we live with one another. It's all about relationship, you know, and it's easy to pull out some of these things, you know. It's, it's like, think about this. So the, the commandment that says, honor your father and mother, okay, we think about that, about children saying, yes, sir, no, ma'am. You know, no, no, sir, yes, sir, and all this, and, and obeying as children. These commandments were written to adults. So let's think about that. It's written to adults. So what does that mean? Well, if you look in Hebrew culture, Jewish culture, what, did that, what that meant was they took care of their parents. They didn't send them off to some home and never saw them again. They took care of them as family. They were their parents. They honored God by honoring their parents. It's a relationship. And all those commandments are the same way. Well, I think probably the person uh, posing the question has been hearing that ten, the Ten Commandments are Old Testament and the only thing that matters is the New Testament. seems there are a lot of people who feel... That was before Christ, so it doesn't really apply anymore. So here I'm going to say a, a weird statement. I've said it once, I've said it kind of once before, but really we should drop the word old and new. We should just say first and second, because it's not old like it's gone. It's it's the first testament, the second testament. You know, the first writing. Now we have the second writings. You know, and, and we need to put it together like that because think about it, the New Testament would make no sense at all without the Old Testament, number one. Number two, Jesus quoted the Old Testament. Number three, Paul quoted the Old Testament. I mean, over and over again, Peter quoted the Old Testament. So they quoted the Old Testament. And, this, and, it, and at this point, if you understand this, during the time of the first century before we had a New Testament, when they said, follow the scriptures, guess what? It's not the New Testament. It's, it's the Old Testament. It's the First Testament. Well, I guess overall people need to understand that the Bible in its entirety is important. You can't yeah. just select and choose the parts that you feel are relevant. You know, exactly. Like I said earlier, everybody thinks they're a Bible scholar. Right. You know, but they've never done in-depth study, and this is where we have the problems. Well, it's good people are asking questions. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, what can... do you think about some of this? Well, I agree that the entire Bible has to be taken into context because if you just choose the New Testament to focus on, then you're missing all the important parts in the Old Testament. So, I, I think it's good for people. To understand it, I think new believers may have some questions because it's not fully explained to them. They may just see the important part of the Bible being anything from when Christ came to earth forward because, you know, that was him coming to us and, uh, you know, showing how he died for our sins. But they're not including the past, all the things that led up to that. Yeah. And I really don't know how many people that write in the questions are new believers. I, I'm assuming there might be a lot, or else I'm assuming that they run into people who are teaching one thing and they didn't hear, hear of it before, or they disagree, or they don't know what to believe. 
So what they're doing is they're asking the questions. What I, what I say to you is you need to find a Bible-believing, a Bible-teaching church that, you know, that is not real, what's the word I've been using, legalistic, you know, that, that you're able to see the Spirit of God working through the Old Testament as well as the, the, Old, the New Testament. Okay, so another question, this one is from Israel. Uh, the person asks, is, are Judaism and Christianity related? <laughs> <coughs> so I can give a real typical answer. You know, Christianity is basically, the real name is called Judeo-Christian. Which, I think that covers it. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be a, a strong yes. However, if you want my real answer, should I give my real answer? <laughs> well, they probably want to know. In the first century, after Jesus ascended to heaven, the majority of people who became believers of Jesus were Jews. And they worshiped Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. And the believers of those people who were believers of Jesus as Messiah, it was considered that those, that group of people were actually uh, Jews following Judaism, but of a different nature because it was their question. They believed in Jesus as, as the Messiah. I think this is why Paul or Saul at the time, got orders to be able to persecute those because they were committing blasphemy by worshiping Jesus. So he had the orders to persecute and stone. That's why Stephen was stoned, you know, because he was worshiping Jesus. Okay, they were worshiping Jesus as the Messiah, and that was blasphemy according to the Jews. So if you were a Gentile, Paul, or Saul, rather, at the time, could not... um, persecute or stone a Gentile, but he could with Jews. That's where it was. So Judaism took on a whole different segment, a whole different denomination, if you will, because we had Pharisee denomination, Sadducee and Hellenists and so forth. But all of a sudden you have a sixth one that were believers of Jesus as Messiah. That was Judaism. And if you look in Acts, Peter preaches a sermon and 5,000 people become believers. Now these 5,000 people are most likely men. So you may have a bunch of women and you, that wouldn't be counted. So you maybe have 10,000. And then he preaches later and 5,000 more enter the church. Jews again. So we're talking about Christianity is actually at the time Judaism. And if you look at Christianity today and the fact that we follow Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, you look in Romans chapter 11, I'm not going to quote the whole thing to you, but we are graft, we as Gentiles are grafted into the vine, into Judaism. So basically, Christianity at, at its core is really Judaism at its core. Not the Judaism we see today, or the Judaism we saw in Jesus' day, but the Judaism that was brought up from the beginning that is really, you know, basically Christianity. So I would say it's more than just uh, relates to one another. It I think is is, and then Paul went out and brought in Gentiles. And as the Judaizers had problems with the Gentiles not following their law, when Paul said it was not, it was okay what they're doing. 
about 100 years later, the Jews left, and it became a Gentile following rather than a Jewish with the Gentiles added. So really, when, you, when they're asking, is, is Christianity and Judaism related, it, it's really entwined and, and grafted and solid. So, yes. Okay. Well, I think that gives a clearer understanding for... There's probably a lot of people who are going to hate me for saying that or don't agree with me. <laughs> well, it, it makes sense because when um, Christianity first started, the first... Christians were Jews and they were considered a group just like the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and all the other Jewish groups. Right. You know, it wasn't made of Gentiles. It wasn't, and that's how people view it today. They see Judaism and Christianity as separate, but that's not how it originated. And it's funny, we Christian type people in today's world, I mean, we're so arrogant. We think that, you know, well, we could have never been believers in God if it wasn't for Jesus. Well, that's not totally true because in Isaiah, God says he sends out over all the ends of the earth for people to follow him, to save them. So it was just the, the, the tool, which was Jesus at the time, because of who he was, which was God in the flesh, was a whole lot more powerful than Isaiah's word, which mm -hmm. only went out to the Jews. So now we have it going all over, and the person who did that was the Apostle Paul. And he's the one that took it all over Asia Minor and into Rome, and there you go, it exploded all over the world. Right. Okay. Well, another question, this is more of a modern-day question. Uh, there's a person in the United States who asked, is it right for Christians to use their phones as Bibles in the church? <laughs> okay, so if you have your phone on your Bible, what do you think it is? It, it, you're using it as a Bible. I mean, it's the word is the word is the word. It doesn't matter if it's, on, if it's in a, a book or if it's on your phone or if it's on a tablet or if it's written on your hand. It doesn't matter. The word is the word. The Bible is the Bible. I use... You know, I use my phone in church. <laughs> and I look up, you know, I have New King James Version right there, and I look it up right on my phone. And if the pastor says something that I'm not sure I agree with, I look it up in the Greek. I have the Greek Bible right on my phone, and I look up the wording in the Greek, and I will, I'll say, hey, he's wrong, or he's correct, or whatever it might be. But it's perfectly fine. Some people may not have a Bible, or, but they'll have a phone. Well, a lot of times it is quicker to get to the scripture you're looking for when it's on your phone than trying to find it in the book. Actually, it's faster for me to find it in the book. Oh, I find it faster. Well, my on the Bible's phone. what this thick. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when it's really big and heavy, I usually leave it in the classroom, and I always have it ready in my classroom when I'm teaching. Yes, but I know for sure when you're on your phone, you're actually using it to search the yeah. scriptures. So as long as you're using your phone, the Bible on your phone, and not playing games that's, you know, but, you know, we're talking about using your Bible, and we're using your Bible. I, I, I think it's really nice to be able to have that access yeah. when you may be somewhere, too, where you don't have your Bible with you, that you can use it at any time. Yeah, and the New King James Version isn't going to be any different on my phone than it is in the book. Okay, um, we have another question. Uh, 
changing topics. Uh, another one from the United States that says, Do genuine born-again children of God who commit suicide go to heaven? Oh, man. Well, first easy off, questions. Easy, yeah. <laughs> um, first off, I don't like the word genuine. Either you are a, a believer or you're not a believer. Yeah, it's hard to know what this yeah. person was meaning by that. Well, them. I know I've, I've seen people write, well, you know, about believers, you know, well, if you're a true believer, if you're a genuine believer, well, either you are a believer or you're not a believer. I mean, Apostle John says that. He says, hey, if you, if you don't love the brethren, then you're not a believer. God's not in you. He just doesn't say you're a genuine or not a genuine. He just says you are or you're not. However, getting to this... Um, this is going to be really and I'm not trying to sidestep this question I know that John MacArthur got sued for this when he told a Catholic kid that he can he can go to heaven if he committed suicide and his parents sued him because in the Catholic church it's a sin it's a sin and you go to hell yeah so depending on what denomination you're in, it will be on what you think is going to be real or not. So if you're in a Calvinist belief system, you're going to think, well, if you're saved, you go to heaven. Or if you're a Wesleyan or Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, you know, you go to hell. So it's, a, you know, that's what that is. By asking me that question, I'm simply going to say that I don't think anybody here on earth ever in the history of the world, other than Jesus, would know the answer to that because none of us would have ever and will ever sit on the throne of judgment whether people are going to go to heaven or hell. I think people that sit on the, that judgment throne today who are alive walking around earth, well, you're going to heaven, well, you're going to hell. Well, who gave them the right? Only, only Jesus has been given the, the authority for judgment. You know, God is the judge, not us. And so when we start saying you will or you won't, we've, we're making ourselves the judge over sin and judge over salvation. And that's purely wrong biblically. And so if any of us do that, we need to stop because that's just not good. We're not the judge God is. So that's just one of many things that we can't say with certainty because we aren't in the position to make that judgment. Absolutely. I think it's... We, we really don't know. We, we don't know. Um, I, I think that uh, we don't know the state of the person before something happened. We, we don't know any of that. And we, we don't know God's mind either of how that works. I mean, there are people that think that, you know, if you're a child and you die and you're not saved, you go to hell because you're not, you know, you have sin nature. I mean, there's there's all kinds of things. But again... We're putting ourselves as the judge over salvation, and we're not that. That's not who we are. Well, I guess the caveat to take from that is if it's not specifically written in the Bible, a lot of things have not been explained, and it's not our it's not our job to know the answer. Well. Yes and no. I mean, you can't say because something isn't written in the Bible, we can't know the answer. Well, specifically this, like, we don't know. Well, yeah, and the reason we, we don't know 
is it because it's written in the Bible or not written in the Bible? I mean, it does say, like, for example, when Judas committed suicide, uh, Jesus had said it was, it was better that he had never been born. Well, we don't know what... what we can means. interpret a lot of things from that, and there are a lot of people who have interpreted a lot of things from that, and they're different. But we have to remember there are things in the Bible that give us good a good foundation that aren't necessarily written there, but we can understand from there. Um, and we have to be careful because there are things that are written in the Bible that we interpret ourselves that might be off kilter. So we need to be careful that it's just because it's, I mean, people say that, oh, well, Jesus' birthday was never in the Bible, so therefore we shouldn't, we shouldn't have a birthday celebrate our own birthdays, you know. Well, it says a lot of things. Doesn't say a lot of things that people didn't do. You know, didn't say they brushed their teeth. Should we not brush our teeth? I mean, it's kind of stupid when you're going to the certain things like that. I won't get into some of the more gross things, but you know, <laughs> there's some things that it just doesn't say. But it, but you know what I'm talking about. But yeah. we have to be careful. We should never put ourselves on the placement of being the judge over sin, over salvation. That's not us. Right. Well, I think that's a good answer. Thank you. Okay. Let's see what other questions we have. Um, you lost your pen. That's okay. Uh, well, here's someone. This might be, uh, need a little time for. Uh, this is from the United States. It says, I have a question for you on the sovereignty of the Lord. I have been looking for scripture that helps explain it. I struggle with the idea that everything goes through God's hands and he allows bad things to happen. God is a good God. He only gives good gifts. If that is the case, how can people say that God allowed something bad and that he wants you to learn from this? If that is the case, why would we seek healing or fight against what the Lord put on us? Oh, that's a lot. It's a, yeah, it, there's a lot. So I might have to refer back to it. Okay, first off, let me grasp that last part of that. Um, God, well, let me go in the beginning part of that, where it says, you know, God is sovereign and so forth, and and about good things. Um, God never gives us bad things, okay? I, I learned this when I was younger. There are things that we do that are bad, because and, and we do because we're just stupid. Uh, and he you know, allows it. <laughs> you know, we laughed a lot at, everybody laughed a lot at me because we talked about how stupid I was when I was a kid and some of the things that I did. But, um, but really, when those bad things happen, God can use them for good. All we have to do is just give them to him to allow the good things that, that God can bring from that. If we want to just keep that as bad, we can do that too. But, okay, so that being said, let me go to the very beginning. Okay, so God is a sovereign God. However, okay, and I know this is going to be in contention with a lot of people because I think a lot of people aren't don't really watch the scriptures carefully. But... When God created Adam and Eve, he did something very unique. And he told them that 
he gave them dominion over all the earth, over all the land, over all the animals, over all the plants. He gave us dominion. What does that mean? That means he gave us sovereignty. And you think about that. That means God took his hands off sovereignty of the earth because he gave it to us. I mean, you can't have two gods, right? So if he gave us sovereignty, that means we're in control of this earth. We're, we're the ones that are going to make it work or make it fail. So what is the first thing they do to make it fail? They ate from the wrong tree that God said, don't do this. So what they did was they allowed the wrong things to happen to come into the earth. They allowed sin to come in, which damaged an amazing amount of things. The very nature that God created in us, which was of his likeness. Okay, We were created in his moral likeness, his moral image. And now all that thing of what is holy, what is love, what is forgiveness, forgiving, anger, all these things that got created in us, now they're corrupted because of we allowed that in. We allowed Satan in. And now, starting off of whatever <laughs> was small in, in the beginning, is going down a hill, becoming bigger and bigger, and we have a bigger problem and more problems all over the earth. This isn't God's doing. This is our doing because he gave us dominion over the earth. He put us in charge. He gave us the quote-unquote sovereignty of the earth, if you will. Okay. Now, God intervenes. We ask him to intervene. He'll intervene, and that's pretty common in Scripture. But he allows us to happen and allows us to go, and he has a plan to get us all out of it, and we try to follow that plan. But, you know, but when it gets into things of, you know, do we, why do we pray for things? Because God's, God will intervene when we ask him, okay? Of course, he may say no about some things. He may say, well, you hang on, I'll be there, in a while, or I'll, I'll get, do it in a while. It's just not time yet, or I'll do it right away. But he'll intervene as we call on him so there there is a a big thing there is there is a whole doctrine to to learn about but i i think we need to really see the scripture as it is is that he gave us dominion over all the everything around and that's in the scripture in genesis right in the beginning when he created created the world i don't did i miss anything out of that well uh the person specifically asked how can people say god allowed something bad and that he wants you to learn from it. So one of the things I really have a hard time about is when people say, well, everything happens for a reason. That's a lot of crap. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. It really is, because, you know, we, think, we do things. Now, what happens in the aftermath can be good or bad of however we work with this. And however, for example... I have a seizure disorder, okay? Started when I was 17. And it was a really hard thing for me to, to deal with. And I just thought, oh, my whole world is crashing, crumbling. And, well, God, why did you do this? Well, you know, I get these pastors, well, he didn't actually do it, but he allowed it to happen. What kind of garbage is that? Give me a real answer. Nobody had an answer until I finally talked to somebody, Reuben Welch. And he said he didn't know, but... You know, if we stop asking why and started asking God, how can you use this in my life to honor you, 
then things change in our lives and God will use that. So it's not that the seizures, you know, they happen for a reason. No, but by giving it to him, now he uses that for good. And it changed. It changed my life. It changed a lot of people's lives because I use that in my ministry to help people see that and get out of their why. Because when we say why, we're saying God created the evil and the good, and we don't want to do that. You know, he created, he didn't create the fact I ran in front of somebody to hit me in the head. You know, it just happened. So I, I think in all of that, we need to see that God will use what we have. We just need to give it to him and start wallowing, stop wallowing in our self-pity of, oh, God, why'd you do that? What's a terrible thing? And get over it. Well, part of the question when he, this person asked, you know, what does he want you to learn from something bad, I guess, that happens to you? Do you believe that all the bad things that happen to people, God sees it, oh, this is a learning experience for you? No, I think that's kind I, of what they're asking. I, I think that it can be a learning experience. Not everything has to be a learning experience, but I think it can be. But I think the only way it will be a learning experience is in, when you stop, like I said, and say, okay, God, how, do, how can you use this? And hand it to him and stop stop the negative junk that you go through and, and just realize, hey, you know, I give this to God and, and, and let him take care of it. He can use this in my life and it'll blossom. I mean, there's that guy, Nick, who has no arms, no, right. no feet, no legs, and uh, he wanted to commit suicide. Of course, you know, no arms, no legs. It's really kind of hard to, you know, think we can do anything in your life. And now he's an international super speaker, you know. It's amazing because he gave his life to God to say, okay, use me. I, I really think that's all you need to do. It, it's, it doesn't have to be that, but it can be that if we give it to him. Okay, and I think that probably covers a lot of the questions with with what that person's asking. If I guess someone needs more detail, they'll write in. Um, uh, someone from Africa asks, "Do you believe that speaking in tongues and the other gifts of the Spirit are for the Church of today?" Or did they disappear after the first century church? Absolutely. I think they, you know, are of today as well. What I have a hard time with is people think that because they don't see it around today, it must have only been first century. But I also believe that we have a kind of a watered-down church at large. You know, I think Christendom has been watered down, compromised, and we all think, oh, God is love, we all go to heaven, nobody goes to hell, God didn't really make hell, it, it's really false, and and we live this way, and so we, there's no power, and they feel like, well, the Holy Spirit, well, we don't understand the Holy Spirit, so therefore it must not be for today, and that's what they teach, because they don't understand, because they don't seek out to learn, but I definitely believe, if you start doing stuff like that, saying, well, it was of the early church and not today, well, then what you're doing is, is you're picking and choosing the scriptures you want to make work for you and not work for you. And again, I mean, I told somebody the other day, I said, well, you start doing that with Revelation, and you read the last chapter, and it says if you change, take away, add to anything in the book of Revelation, your name will be erased out of that book of life. 
lamps with life. So basically, you know, we need to not pick and choose scriptures that we think that are viable today and not for not and only of yesterday and and only because we understand some and not the others. If we don't understand something, well then, you know, if you want to, go out and learn. And go out and, and ask questions like you do now or, or go seek and, and study the scriptures. Um, I mean, I I delve into stuff and I, I really seek and learn and get into the lang- original languages and and uh, it's important to me. So I would think that if you really have questions like this, it's important to you too. Well, I believe there are probably some people who are teaching that some of these things from the Old Testament or in the past are not relevant today in their churches and that causes confusion. Well, again, like I said, I think a lot of churches are just, you know, watered down. You know, you have you have a lot of uh, people who just live casually, you know, and, and living the Christian life isn't just a casual lifestyle. It's, you know, it's a bold lifestyle. And I think that, um, unfortunately, you know, the Holy people think the Holy Spirit didn't fill people in the Old Testament. Well, that's not true. It says several, or not several, there's about four or five times it says uh, certain people were filled with the Spirit. So, again, if we want to not study, then we can say those things. I've heard a preacher just in the last couple of years teach that, that the people of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only empowered them, you know, once for a short period of time. But actually, there were a few people that were literally filled with the Spirit. And it says so. So we cannot, you know, if, if we're not going to study correctly, we've got to be careful what we say. Well, that leads into a question from someone from Hawaii. Uh, they ask, does the Bible contain errors? <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of these questions seem to relate to the validity of uh, things written in the Old Testament as compared to today. And Okay. So... And I'm going to divide this into our First Testament and our Second Testament. Okay. Um, when we look at the New Testament, they're basically, um, you won't find errors really. Because um, the languages, they were written, they, they've been pre- preserved pretty well and, and copied multiple times, and it's pretty, pretty good. However, when you get into the Old Testament, um, there is, a, there is a situation. You have um, the old Hebrew scriptures, which is, well, a few hundred years before Jesus, which doesn't exist any longer. Okay. However, your Greek Septuagint, your Samaritan Pentateuch has uh, basically copied off of that old... The old Hebrew scriptures, but a lot of our Bibles aren't uh, translated from that. A lot of our Bibles, or most or all of our Bibles, are translated off the Hebrew Masoretic text, which was written in 1100 AD. The problem is there are things in the two that differ. Um, this is something I'm studying right now, actually. Um, it's, it's really funny it's, that question came up, but I've been studying recently that, you know, about 
the Jews, how long were they in Egypt? You know, well, the Masoretic text says they were in Egypt for 430 years. However, the Greek Septuagint says they were in Egypt for, uh, it says they were in Egypt and Canaan for 430 years. So there's a drop-off of some words, which is significant because it would basically give you the timeline of, of Exodus and the people there, which would be wrong, and the, and the numbers are wrong. So that being said, the Bible written has no errors. I believe it is inerrant. Okay, I totally believe that. But I do believe that there are things because of translation that may have uh, some situations that need to be fixed. We believe that um, the Exodus took place, or Moses was there during the time of Ramesses, but the Bible doesn't say that, but they want to go from there. But the archaeologists say that didn't happen, it's not there, we don't have that happening. Go 250 years earlier, 200 years earlier, ah, there's the Exodus, it's a different pharaoh. So, you know, it doesn't make the Bible wrong, it just makes our interpretation is coming out incorrect. So, the, the spirit of the word, the theme of the word of, of God is God and only God, the theme of salvation, the theme of we need to follow his commandments or live for him or we won't ever live for him for eternity, those things are pretty much common. Those things you can't change. I mean, they're they're all there, and they they don't contradict each other in the scripture, like you have in books like the Book of Mormon. There's contradictions all over, you know, or even the Quran has the contradictions, okay, in the book itself, where in the Bible you won't find those kind of contradictions. So, a good explanation is there may be some issues with translation inaccuracy from one language to another and possible transcription errors as people were copying like where they may have missed a word or something but those are caught pretty much other than other than the fact that the masoretic text is where we grab a lot of our old testament stuff from and not from the septuagint or the, uh, the samaritan pentateuch there's a difference there. There's, there are problems there. And I don't know if it's purposely done, if the Jews purposely did it when they transcribed it to that. But we probably shouldn't take our Old Testament. I mean, the King James Version does not come from the Septuagint. We, people think it does. No, it comes from the Masoretic Text, which means it's got problems. Okay? And so um, when we look at transcribing, like from one book to uh, one writing to another writing. Uh, for example, the Bible, especially the New Testament, was written so many p copies that you wouldn't have the problems in transcribing it. I mean, there's just, you would make, you know, 10 copies here, 40 copies there, 100, you know, you have 3,500 copies. If all 3,500 copies are pretty much the same and are written by all over, then you know there's not a problem. See, that, and that's where, like, the Mormons say, well, your Bible has mistakes because it's all been corrupted. Well, no, we can prove it isn't, you know. So the main issue is probably just the interpretations that people yeah. have based on 
how it's translated into maybe their language? Well, so for example, if you, you have translations, um, and, and people may not like this, but if, for example, a, a New Living Translation, it's really liberal, and you can read passages in there that have, have extra meaning, different meaning, than if you read, the say, New King James or New American Standard or NIV. It has some meanings that are very liberal, and I would say take away from the actual writing that it really is. So we need to be careful of the versions we, we buy, because that could have total different meaning than other translations. So in terms of context, some versions are more true to the original writings. Right. Other than what I'm saying when we have that Masoretic text, we have some pro issues opposed to the um, Septuagint. But as you said, as far as contradictions, yeah. those don't exist. Yeah. The only, the only problem you have that I, that I have found so far um, is, like I said, it's in the, um, the time of Moses and Exodus and that period of time. That's where we have the, the period of time and the problem. Um, any other problem we have is interpretation, like in, like in Genesis, you know, a day is a 24-hour day. Because we want to say, we'll look at the word day, but if you look at Hebrew, it can mean something different. So it's our interpretation or our grabbing it and, uh, and eliminating the other meanings of the word. You're only grabbing what we want. That's not the scripture. That scripture's right. It's just what we want to take from it. Well, I hope that answered the <laughs> listener's question. Might have created some more questions. So yeah, and, you will see. And I'd be glad. Just write me again. And, and, and if you didn't get a um, total answer or if it raises more questions, that's fine too. Okay. Uh, let's see if there's any other questions that we could do quickly. Uh, one, this is from Europe. How do we overcome the devil as children of God? Well, that's easy. I mean, read the book of James. <laughs> <laughs> it tells you, you know, don't, don't play with temptation, you know. Flee from, from that, and, and you run from that. Well, another, another thing is, you know, grab onto and seek the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, how many people deny themselves the idea the Holy Spirit can fill them and give them power over sin? I mean, there's a lot, there's probably millions and millions and millions of people that think that because they're not taught this. You, you need to seek the Holy Spirit to give you power over sin. Seek the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom, you know, in, in your choices. And, you know, don't play with temptation. You know, flee from temptation, like James says. And, and you know, it's like playing with fire. Why play with fire? You're going to get what? Burned. Burnt. Exactly. So why play with temptation? It's the same difference. So, you know, when we play with the things that we're not supposed to, let's see how far across the line I can go before I get in trouble. And that's human nature. But if you stop doing that, you'll be better off. I think we're probably almost out of time. Almost. So I think uh, you've answered a lot of people's questions today. Okay. Um, well, we actually have a minute. Um, I'll give you guys a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, think about these these questions. These are actually yes, these are pretty good questions. Some of these. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I know that some of the questions I answered that were not traditional at all, especially like when we're talking about the sovereignty and things like that, 
they're totally not uh, traditional, but if you search it and, and study it, and I think that people will, you'll find that the answers are really there in the scriptures. So, well, thank you for joining us today. I really do appreciate uh, everybody and all of your, uh, all that you do. These, you know, this this session of our our um, program would not be possible if you guys didn't write in the questions. So, um, and I'm so glad we were talking about all the people coming from Russia and, and different parts of the Europe, Eastern Europe into Turkey. It's amazing to see how many people in Turkey are now writing and watching the program. So anyway, you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving, all of you in the United States and everybody else have a wonderful week and we'll see you later. Aloha. Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com.